Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Tragedy and the Triumph podcast. Wendell Brown here, founder of Tragedy and the Triumph with you today. I'm flying solo today, but I want to talk to you just a little bit about uh, Christmas and uh, provide some things that uh, you may not know about Christmas. So we're going to dive in today, and our next podcast is going to feature uh, a counselor that's going to help us kind of walk through what does it mean to survive Christmas and how do we make it through. But today, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about things you may not know about Christmas. So as we begin today, let me just ask the question, are you ready for Christmas? Are you excited for Christmas? Have you broken out that ugly Christmas sweater yet? Are you ready for family traditions? Are you ready for long shopping lines, supply shortages, longer than normal delivery times, and the stress of getting the perfect gift for that per- that perfect someone in your life? Now, whether you say bah humbug to Christmas or whether you say good tidings and great joy, Christmas is coming, like it or not. Somewhere in the midst of the eggnog, in the midst of the middle t- mistletoe and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman and White Christmases and Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole and Extravagant Spending and Santa Claus. Somewhere in the midst of this holiday, there's a scandalous story. A story about conception out of wedlock. A story about a king being so threatened by the birth of a baby that he ordered innocent children to be slaughtered. Somewhere in the midst of our desire to celebrate this season, there is a greater story at work, perhaps in our lives. There's a story that reversed biological laws, a story that changed the way time is marked on earth, a story that stretches the human imagination and enforces us to choose whether we believe it or not, a story that has absolutely changed everything. So, I'd like for us to begin today by understanding that this is not some mythical story about an innocent infant saving the world. This is a real-life story, a story that was a threat to the world in its beginning and is still a threat to the world today, a story that does begin with a baby in a manger. It's not easy to consider things that are outlandish. In fact, it's problematic to believe in things that make no sense to our human understanding. Yet at the end of this encounter, this encounter, true encounter with Christmas, there's no middle ground. It is a, it's a disturbance like none other. It will disrupt you to the very core of your created being. So let me just ask you again today, let me just ask you, are you ready for Christmas? So if you want the truth, stay in your seat or stay in your car or continue your exercise as you listen to this podcast because the truth is here. So I want to touch on a few things just quickly for us. Let's begin our discovery about Christmas really at the 24th letter of the alphabet, the letter X. You know, all over you'll see Merry Xmas instead of Christmas. Uh, I, I know that for a long time Christians have been up in arms about X instead of Christ in Christmas. And listen, yeah, it is Christmas, but I think to to negate the X in Xmas kind of misses a valid point. I kind of love it when God gets the last laugh at things. 
Did you know X is the first letter of the Greek word Christos? And in the 16th century, Xmas began to be used as a reference to Christmas with X signifying Christ. Today, we kind of view it as man, you're kind of leaving Christ out, but in reality, we're including Jesus in it. Let me give you another one. Christmas, the word, is derived from Catholic heritage. It was basically the Mass of Christ, or Christ Mass. Mass commemorates the death of Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. So by virtue of the name itself, Christmas, we are actually celebrating what happens on Easter Sunday morning with the events at Christmas. God came to the world to change the world. This This innocent child was going to revolutionize everything in the world. So I'd like to stop there, though, and inform you of a Christmas gift you could give to your loved ones or maybe to someone that is hurting. Sometimes life gets the best of this. and You get knocked down, at least for a moment, and you, you kind of question, do I really want to get back up? Sometimes our struggles seem insurmountable, but in fact, the things in this life maybe are not meant to derail you, but to be stepping stones that lead you to greater significance and achievement in your life. So uh, God kind of helped me write a book called Living in Triumph. And um, this book will, will not just provide you with needed measure of inspiration and motivation. It is my hope that it gives you practical, doable steps to make it through life and not just get through by the skin of your teeth, but to thrive. So if you know someone hurting this holiday season that needs positive reinforcement in their life, I want to encourage you to order Living in Triumph. We'll ship it directly to you. Um, If you want to study, maybe to do with a group or a group of people in a book club, we can help there as well. Uh, We hope that this book will provide encouragement to those who need it this Christmas season. And you can find out more about Living in Triumph at tragedyintotriumph.com or wherever you get books. So let's get back to the event at hand. What you may not know about Christmas. Today, we're going to just spend a moment looking at the event itself. So if you go to Luke chapter 2, don't worry, I'm not going to get super exhaustive and read you all of the gospel of Luke, but, but I want to focus on seven verses. Here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Let me stop here because skeptics love to point to the census as a reason to doubt the birth or even the date of the birth of Christ based upon the census. The claim has been that there is a lack of historical evidence that the census took place as recorded. The census that happened while Quirinius was governor of Syria, critics claim that that it couldn't have happened because he couldn't have been the governor of Syria at that time. Further, how could the government force citizens to return to their birthplace? And is there any archaeological evidence that suggests that those events actually happened? Those are all good arguments. They're all good questions. But In archaeological discoveries, listen to an ancient order that was found from 104 AD. This is from the prefect of Egypt, Gaius 
Vibius Maximus, being that the time has come for the house-to-house census, it is mandatory that all men who are living outside of their districts return to their own homelands that a census may be carried out. Another census was found in 48 AD that also uses the same language, noting that the entire family was involved in the census. In going to their homeland and their place of birth, the head of the household, the male and his family, were to return so that families could be counted correctly. I'm glad that we've wised up a little bit and that I don't have to go back to my place of birth so I can be counted in our last census that we had here in America. But I also know that people didn't travel as far then as we do today. The, the, the other issue with the census, as we investigate Christmas, is the time frame. Skeptics and doubters would like to point out that it is believed that Herod died in 4 BC and Quirinius didn't begin ruling Syria until AD 6. Here's a bigger question. If it were not true, why would Luke feel so confident in placing those players and listing the actual historical figures in the story if it weren't true? First off, not too long ago, an archaeologist named Jerry Vardaman has found a coin with the name Quirinius on it, and the coin places him as proconsul around 12 BC until the death of Herod. So get this, it's kind of interesting. Quirinius was no major, excuse me, no minor figure in Roman politics. His name is mentioned in the deeds of Augustus as placing him as council. The Roman historian Tacitus also mentions that Quirinius was appointed by Augustus to be an advisor to his son Caius Caesar, who, would you believe, was sent to be the administrator of Syria. Evidently, Augustus wanted someone who was experienced in previously administering the region to advise his son. The census was probably implemented by Herod at the command of Rome to coincide with the decree that all people should take an oath of allegiance to Augustus. I want you to hold that thought. Verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Julius Caesar was murdered in 44 BC because he had become too powerful for many in the Roman Senate. Before his death, he adopted his grandnephew Octavian and named him heir after the murder of his adopted father, Julius. Octavian, he vowed to do three things. Number one, adopt his father's name, Caesar. Number two, kill any of his father's murderers. And number three, stage elaborate public games in honor of his father's legacy. During these games, a comet appeared, and Octavian pointed to the comet as a proof that his father was divine and that he was now seated at the right hand of the god Zeus. Octavian referred to himself as the son of the deified one. A civil war ensued, and in 31 BC, Octavian defeated Mark Antony, and Octavian rose to power as what he termed of himself the bringer of peace. Now, I want us to pay attention here because it gets even further amazing. Priests at the time of Octavian's reign, they were instructed to include Octavian's name in prayers and vows. They were instructed to pray to him. Octavian then received the title Augustus, which means the illustrious one. He became known as the savior of Rome. He was viewed as bringing peace and salvation. He was called Lord and was worshipped 
as a god on earth. Rome citizens had to pray to him. Temples and shrines were built in his honor. Augustus's birth was then called, I want you to catch this, good news. He was called the cosmic savior. He was to be atonement for Rome's past sins and inaugurator of the golden age of peace and security in Rome. Remember, the census that was given was probably implemented to coincide with the decree that all the people should take an oath of allegiance to Augustus. Listen to the actual words of the oath. At the command of Caesar Augustus, the son of God, I swear by Zeus, the earth, the sun, and by all the gods and goddesses, including Augustus himself, to be favorable to Caesar Augustus, his sons and descendants, forever in speech, in actions, and in thoughts, considering as friends those he considers so, and regarding as enemies those he judges so, and to defend their interests, I will spare neither body, nor soul, nor life, nor my children. As Mike Erie states, allegiance to Caesar was both political and religious for the people of the Roman Empire. It was not enough to honor him as emperor. He demanded to be worshipped as a god also. So let's catch this. The historical significance of all of these facts cannot be downplayed. Here in the midst of the power and might of Rome, in the midst of Romans' great rule, in a little corner in Bethlehem was a child that was born that changed everything. So let's pick back up with verse 5. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Matthew tells us that they gave him the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Now, while Augustus was worried about counting his kingdom and receiving praise for his greatness and the prominence of his divine father, while Augustus was manufacturing temples and requiring citizens to worship him, while Rome was forcing its citizens to bow to a man made king, the cosmic savior of Rome, as he was termed, was actually being outmaneuvered and outclassed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus would save his people from their sins, not Rome. I want you to think about that. The ruler of the Roman Empire said he would be the savior of his people and insert this baby born in a stable in a manger in which the proclamation of his arrival was that he actually would be the one who would save his people from their sins, not Rome. Listen, this was scandalous. This was national treachery. This was Roman blasphemy. It is a revolution in its truest sense that Jesus entered the earth. Somewhere in the midst of our 
decorations and gift giving and superficial platitudes is a real life story about a divine king born in a manger, born in a land that didn't want him, born in a kingdom with a self-proclaimed king, but there was no peace in this kingdom. Jesus perpetually stated that his kingdom was not of this world. Somewhere in the midst of our world today, we're searching for peace and happiness and joy. We're, we're looking at every other solution for our lives. And all the while, the true giver of peace, Jesus, is right here among us through his spirit. You might think that your salvation depends on a lot of things like money, but money's not going to get you out of the jams you find yourself in. Not all of them. Your salvation, your peace, and your help it's not dependent on your bank account. It's not dependent on your family. It's not dependent on what you do for a living. It's not dependent on where you live. It's not even dependent on the people on this earth that you know. It's certainly not dependent upon the federal government or its policies because they change all the time. The outrage about this event, this Jesus coming to the earth to save his people about a kingdom that, that was nothing had nothing to do with a kingdom on earth. The outrage about this event has never changed and it never will change because this event changed everything. Why would any government or king that knows what this king was born into, born in a manger, why would any government or king that knows what this king was all about, why would they want you and I to, comm to commemorate a day that points to his true salvation? This is as outrageous as it gets, and this is big. But as long as we keep Christmas to what we do, to the gifts we give, to, we keep the story simple, cute, and quaint, everything is fine. And when we do, we miss the point that Jesus has come to save us, that Jesus's arrival on earth changed everything, changed the world order. But this God didn't come with man-made oaths and decrees. He didn't build temples in his honor. He desired to be like his people in order to win his people. This divine king became human so that we could be like him. Because this king didn't care about counting his kingdom and looking at what he had built. This king wanted to make us heirs with him. He wanted us to share in the privileges and blessings of being the son of God. He wanted to adopt us so that we could share in all of his splendor. But the only way to do that was to humble himself, taking the form of a human, taking on flesh and setting aside his divinity to save us. Listen, you can go about business as usual this Christmas, or you could actually embrace the revolutionary moment that this is. Jesus came to earth to bring you peace, inner peace that you cannot explain but you know you need to have. I talked to a friend uh, just recently that lost his daughter. I, I was amazed at his level of, of faith. I was amazed at his level of comfort. As he told me, he said, I'm going to be okay. He said, because I have Jesus and my daughter has Jesus. He said, I am going to get to see her again. You may have experienced loss in your life. You may have experienced heartache and pain. You may be depressed and disillusioned. 
You may be struggling and fearful, and you may today feel that there is no hope. This world and its ways, I want to tell you, are not all that there is. Whatever you're struggling or going through in your life right now, I just want you to know that's not the end. This baby that was in a manger, he died on the cross and he rose again so that you could have life and have it abundantly. All it takes is to believe in his name. I think the important thing for us to consider this Christmas season is the enormity of the event and the hope that the event brings even still in the year 2023 to our lives. I want you to know that it is the hope of tragedy and the triumph that you experience this Christmas, the hope of heaven, the hope of this baby born in a manger. May God bless all of you and may you find hope for your life in the name of Jesus. Red